ACOG and the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development define the periviable interval as that between gestational ages of 20 weeks and zero days to 25 weeks and six days. But there's disagreement within experts even about that definition. And the reason is, is that it's unlikely to have survival between the 20 weeks and zero days to 21 weeks and six day time period. At that gestational age, from 20 weeks to 22 weeks, resuscitation is not recommended by the American College of OBGYN. So because of that gap, even though the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development defines periviable as 20 weeks and 0 to 25 and 6, those in practice consider the clinically applicable periviable period as that between 22 weeks and 0 days and 25 weeks and 6 days. Periviable infants will not survive without some form of resuscitation or life-sustaining intervention at birth. Infants born during this periviable gestation are at risk for death or survival with chronic medical conditions, some of which can be severe. As a result, management of these infants is challenging as decision-making has to be based on both clinical and ethical considerations. Nonetheless, many hospitals have adopted new guidelines for resuscitating infants with a gestational age starting at 22 weeks. Remember that even ACOG updated recommendations for endpartum corticosteroids for fetal lung maturity back in September 2021, stating that steroids, quote, may be considered, end quote, starting as early as 22 weeks and zero days. Magnesium sulfate for fetal neuroprotection, however, still only starts to be offered as a consideration at a cutoff of 23 weeks. Because this is such an active area of obstetrics, with recent changes in practice guidance, and because of the heaviness of the situation, I thought it would be helpful to review this based on the most recent medical data. So let's cover the 22-week delivery and management difficulties or conundrums now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. The earliest gestational age at birth after which survival is possible has decreased incrementally over time. 22 weeks gestation is now considered the current lower border of the limit of viability. That limit has changed drastically over the past 30 years when it was 27 to 28 weeks of completed gestation to the current 22 to 23 weeks as the new limit of viability. But just in the last few years, there's been increase in survival rates for those babies that are born under 24 weeks. In other words, when I trained, 24 weeks was called the limit of viability. But as we've already mentioned, that's actually moved down to 22. But remember, we're not talking about vast survival rates here, but it has increased. The national database has reported that survival rates has actually moved up in that 22 to 23 weeks and six day interval from 30% to 36%. Now I know what you're thinking, a 6% rise, is that significant? Well, it is when you consider that 6% increased survival is remarkable, starting as early as 22 weeks. 
Now, this has nothing to say about long-term morbidity. We'll get into that in a minute. We're just talking about survival for to discharge. But now let's put that in perspective, okay? Because 36% in that early 22 to 23 weeks and six-day interval is vastly different from a child that's born at 24 completed weeks. So 24 completed weeks is like 24 and six days. At that gestational age, the survival rate goes up to 72%. That's a huge difference. Do you see that? In just under two weeks, it goes from 36% at 22 to 23 weeks and six days to 72% at a completed 24 weeks of gestation. Now, I know that you've heard it said, and you've probably said it as well, when you're talking to patients that every day matters for a child, was well, absolutely true. This data was published in The Lancet on July the 25th, 2022. The title of that article is, quote, Survival of Infants Born at Periviable Gestation, the U.S. National Database, end quote. The lead author is Katia, that is Q-A-T-T-E-A. This study reviewed trends in survival and morbidity or mortality in births under 24 weeks compared to those that had a completed 24 weeks of gestation from time periods 2007 to 2018. But one of the difficulties at this 22-week gestational age is the fact that predicting outcomes with certainty after this extreme preterm birth is really hard. And the reason is, is that sometimes it's imprecise to calculate this gestational age. Remember that ultrasounds have anywhere from a one to two week variance. So those babies that we think are 22 weeks may in fact act more like 24 weeks. Now we're going to cover this in just a bit. But remember that this is something that we have to understand and relate to patients. That even though that child's gestational age is 22 weeks by quote, sure criteria, end quote, There's a lot of give in that, once again, because of this difficulty in precisely measuring gestational age. Now, of course, the rebuttal is also true, right? I mean, if we're thinking it's 22, then it may be born and actually can look like a 20-weeker. That's why a lot of these decisions, a lot of this consultation with the patients has to be done in depth and beforehand with a lot of room for flexibility with this sentence in use. Look, we're going to have to assess at this gestational age what this baby actually looks like and behaves like at delivery. But we're going to get into two very, very uh, uh, different opinions here based on experts, okay? Because there's only two ways to think about this at 22 weeks. The first is make a plan for universal resuscitation. It means every baby born at 22 weeks and zero, we're going to go in there and we're going to do full resuscitation as long as the parents want it. Okay, that's actually a thing. And as we said in the intro, some hospitals have moved down their neonatal resuscitation to start at 22 weeks, always, of course, with family consent and in line with their desires. But the second approach to deal with a 22-week delivery is a little bit more conservative, which is, well, wait a minute now, we should do selective resuscitation. Let's see what that baby actually does look like. Let's see what the weight is like. But recognizing that one is not necessarily better than the other, they're both right, and they both have benefits and limitations. Trust me, we're going to get into both of these in this podcast, but I just wanted to plant that seed. You see how complicated this dilemma can actually be. 
Now, whichever side of the fence you find yourself on, either on the side of universal resuscitation or selective resuscitation, we can't lose something very important here. And that's realistic expectations for the entire healthcare team, but specifically for the parents. Because survival is very different than intact survival. And that's the issue here. We just don't have a lot of long-term data on these extremely premature periviable births because they're just not very prevalent in medicine and obstetrics. The actual percentage is actually less than 0.3%, so it's hard to find a lot of data on this. Yep, that issue of periviable infant birth, thankfully, is only estimated to be at 0.28%. But when it does happen, man, is that a heartfelt, difficult, complex dilemma. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, podcast family, before we take a look at those two stances in more detail, let's cover overall survival at this gestational age. Remember, between 22 and 24 weeks and other factors that come into play here besides just the number of gestational weeks. Now, you know this is going to be on any oral board exam because you got to understand that it's more than just the number, but these other factors here come into play. So let's get into that. First, while gestational age and actual physiologic and anatomical age are very important for survival, there, of course, are other factors that are highly able to affect neonatal survival. You all know this, right? According to the new Lancet report that we referenced earlier, now, this is verified stuff that we've known already for decades, but it's amazing how the data keeps being validated and keeps repeating. For example, factors associated with survival in infants born at gestational ages less than 24 weeks include birth weight, so that a larger child at 23 weeks does much better than one that weighs less. Specifically, if you're ever asked what that cutoff is, according to the data, it seems that those neonates born in this early periviable gestational age that weigh more than 500 grams have more than a fourfold higher survival rate than those that weigh less than 500 grams. Now, of course, that's a big flag there right there, right? If it's more than 500 grams, maybe the dates were off to begin with. But since we don't know the dates exactly with pinpoint accuracy, unless they had IVF, then 500 grams seems to be the cutoff in this pair-viable age for better outcomes. Next is fetal sex. Male sex was associated with lower odds for survival. Yep, nature seems to favor female. Also, infants of a minority race, specifically black and Hispanic, had higher odds of survival. Compared to white, this adjusted odds ratio for the survival of black infants was 1.33 and for Hispanics was 1.29. Interestingly, survival was also found to actually be lower when infants were insured with private payer compared to public insurance. Figure that. 
All right, so what's the case for universal resuscitation at 22 weeks? Well, the argument is, hey, 22 weeks is really a big deal. The chances of survival here are real, although we have no long-term data here in terms of overall neurodevelopment and overall function and quality of life. Remember that ACOG, as we've already stated, changed the recommendation for antenatal steroids for fetal lung maturity based on this new evolving data that was updated in September 2021 by the ACOG. Based on this new literature, ACOG and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine stated that, quote, antenatal corticosteroids may be considered as early as 22 weeks of gestation and zero days. But remember, as we said at the beginning, magsulfate still has a recommendation for fetal neuroprotection to begin at 23 weeks and zero days. Proponents of universal recess cite data showing that standardized approaches to neonatal resuscitation and early post-resuscitative care within that so-called golden hour of delivery is very well accepted to improve neonatal outcomes. Data has been published that supports that when you have a standardized approach to resuscitating the neonate in deliveries at 22 weeks and beyond, outcomes are just better for survival. For example, in a study by Bax et al., the mortality rate at a hospital that used selective resuscitation, which we're going to talk about next, was actually worse than the rate at a hospital which used universal resuscitation. Survival for the selective resuscitation group was only 19%, but it was 53% for the universal resuscitation cohort. All right, podcast family, now listen to this separate cohort study from Sweden. A Swedish cohort of infants born at 22 to 24 weeks showed 52% of the infants born at 22 weeks survived when they had universal resuscitation. In other words, a standardized algorithm at 22 weeks, boom, begin immediately and have a standardized approach. Now, what's really impressive, according to this, again, not U.S., but Swedish data, ready? 50% of the survivors had no neurodevelopmental impairment at 2.5 years of age. So proponents say, hey, look, 50%, no neurological impairment, that's a win. The rebuttal go, 50% with some neurodevelopment impairment are odds that are way too high. I mean, it's all how you look at it, guys. I I don't know. I kind of think 50% risk of some neurodevelopmental impairment is, is pretty high, but that's just me. It truly is. Beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. The other reason for proposed universal resuscitation is a reason that we alluded to a little bit earlier in the podcast. Look, just gestational age dating is just not that accurate. The only time when we feel absolutely confident about a gestational age is when the patient had in vitro. But outside of that, there's always this room for give, meaning that babies can be born at a gestational age we think they're at and actually look younger or actually a little older than they are. And because of that uncertainty, those who propose universal recess say you're going to waste time trying to figure out gestational age when you should just go ahead and do it at a flat 22 and 0 based on best estimate because survival rates can increase in that cohort. Again, of course, always with the parents' wishes and their consent. Ah, but now let's flip the coin, because there's also a pretty convincing case for selective resuscitation. In other words, 
those that are born, then we reassess, take a look at the weight, take a look at gestational age assessment quickly and try to get resuscitation, hopefully within the first golden hour. Remember that morbidity and mortality remain very high at infants born at 22 weeks gestation and nuanced features that influence outcome have to be acknowledged. In a 2021 meta-analysis of over 2,200 infants born at 22 weeks who received active treatment, the pooled prevalence of survival was only 29% and survival without major in-hospital complication was only 11%. Proponents of selective resuscitation remind us that the burden of treatment for those little babies is actually pretty high. Extremely preterm newborns who survive spend months in the neonatal intensive care unit, undergo hundreds of potentially painful procedures, and are at risk for subsequent neurodevelopmental impairment. Isolated centers have reported survival rates greater than 50% for infants born at 23 weeks or less of gestation. So it's tempting to speculate that similar outcomes could be uniform after universal resuscitation. But the truth is, we can't make that conclusion because every hospital has different levels of resources. Now, proponents of selective recess also have this as their argument. Look, some hospitals would close if we resuscitated all babies at 22 weeks. And the reason is we just couldn't survive financially. I know that sounds terrible. And no, in no way am I saying don't resuscitate these little 22-weekers to save money. Not at all. But it's just interesting to know how much one child born under 24 weeks actually cost to families and to the healthcare system. Do y'all have a guess? Look, I had no idea about this until I looked up this data for this podcast. Wow. Okay, the median charge for a child born under 24 weeks is close to $1 million. That's M million. Is that crazy or what? So the argument is that if we resuscitated all the babies born at 22 weeks without some sort of selective criteria, that'd be about $7 billion per year. And some of these hospitals could not financially likely survive. And if those hospitals closed, well, then the community really would be hurting for care. All right, podcast families, we get to the end. Just wanted to give you all a taste of this difficult condition, right? I mean, thankfully, we don't see this very often, but it is out there at 22 weeks. Look at all the the, the angles that we have to bring up, not just to discuss within the healthcare team, but obviously to the patient as well to make an informed decision. Now, remember, at 24 weeks, ACOG and SMFM, and most would say, I mean, resuscitation is recommended. But even then at 24 weeks, it's not 100% survival. We're talking about survival in the 70 percentile. And there's still some chances, of course, for long-term morbidity. All to say, these are all very heavy, real issues that we've got to talk about. And that's why we're doing this podcast. Now, talking about issues and long-term follow-up, what did the Lancet database say about that? Well, there was some interesting morbidity findings in this 22 to 24 week cohort over the years checked. Okay. In that study period, despite increasing chances of survival as the years progressed, there thankfully was no evidence for a change in the prevalence of severe IVH over time in infants born at less than 24 weeks. Now, no evidence for a change sounds good, but it definitely didn't decrease. But I guess the good news is that it didn't increase IVH as survival went down the timeline. 
Now, another morbidity was also looked at, and that was necrotizing enterocolitis, or neck. Even though the prevalence of severe IVH stayed the same, neck, unfortunately, increased over the study years in infants born under 24 weeks. As a quick reminder, severe IVH is diagnosed when bleeding in the brain occupies greater than 50% of the lateral ventricles with associated ventricular dilation, that's grade 3, or if blood extravasates into the brain tissue itself, that's grade 4. Both grade 3 and grade 4 IVH are called severe intraventricular hemorrhage. Neck is defined as feeding intolerance associated with abdominal distension, systemic signs, and radiographic images consistent with the condition. Now, one big limitation to this database is that long-term outcomes for this population are still unknown. Now, we've got that Swedish cohort that we talked about where there was 50% no neurological issues up to 2.5 years of age. But that's 2.5 years of age. I mean, is that long enough? Most would say, I want at least five years of outcome data, not just 2.5. And that's one of the biggest limitations we have here. We just don't know this long-term data because survival has never been this low at 22 weeks. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. So where do you find yourself in this discussion? Are you on the side of the fence of universal resuscitation at 22 weeks or beyond? Or on the side of more selective resuscitation? Wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, we have to agree that this has to be a decision of shared decision-making with the parents and their caregivers understanding realistic expectations. As always, we're thankful for you. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.